Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, everybody. I am Lucia Matuonto, and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast, a talk show where my guests and I talk about relatable everyday situations, books, and the environment we live in. Remember to subscribe and follow the podcast on social media so you can be notified when a new episode is available. Let's begin! Hello and welcome to the Relatable Voice podcast. Today we are heading to Florida to talk with Frank DiMaio. Frank is a chiropractic physician, sculptor, photographer, and book author. His latest book, A Promise Made, A Promise Kept, is available now. So my dear Frank, welcome to the RV. Thank you, Lucia. I'm, I'm happy to be traveling with you. I'm so happy to have you as a passenger. It will be a very safe trip. Excellent. Frank, you are originally from Rhode Island and now live in Florida. Can you tell us a little bit about Rhode Island? Rhode Island uh, is the smallest state in the country. It's approximately 32 to 38 miles wide and 48 miles long. However, such a small package also has 400 miles of coastline because it has a bay and it has islands and it has an island off the coast called Block Island, which is 12 miles off the coast of the state. So growing up there was amazing, being in New England and you, you, you get the opportunity to say that you've grown up with, with sand between your toes because there's so many miles of coastline that you cannot go anywhere without having to take your shoes off and get sand between your toes. Uh, it sounds like paradise. Well, it is. And it's, it's so small that it's literally a community of of people, mostly Italian, Greek, Portuguese, French, and of course, any other we would classify as other um, also. But predominantly, those have very large communities and pockets of, of culture that's mm-hmm. wonderful. It's like yeah. being in Manhattan, you know, you walk down one neighborhood, and you have this kind of food, and you cross the street, and then you have another kind of food, and, and that's what the state is all about. That's you know, it's food, food <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> and what do you like the most about living in Florida? Not having to use a shovel to move snow. Um, you get kind of tired of having to deal with that, or taking the garbage out in an ice storm and having to slide your feet on the ice waddling like a duck to get to the dumpster. 
those are the the elements that, that I don't choose to be involved with anymore. Yeah. And Frank, your lovely Judith died some years ago from breast cancer, your wife. Can you tell us a little bit about your journey? Our journey together with this particular disease started in 2000. We chose to begin a journal in an effort to sit down with one another and share our emotions. And we used to do that anyhow, just in conversation at dinner or what Judith used to call our little pick-a-pickers. We put the pillows on the floor in front of the couch and have a picnic. And we'd be in the living room. We'd have a bottle of wine and pick a pick of finger food, whether it was bruschetta, or roasted red peppers, or high dried salami. Doesn't matter. Mm -hmm. It's those moments, those interchanges that I had difficulty putting into a journal. Judith, she just jumped right in. She was able to express herself well. She was a, a teacher. She taught at the college level. She taught legal research and writing. So she was proficient in being able to do that. I was, from an educational standpoint, I was a Beaker and Bunsen burner guy. I saw myself very comfortable in a laboratory looking at absorption columns, taking notes on my mice that are in the lab. Quietly, I could stay there all night, three o'clock in the morning, and be with my little buddies, Heckle and Jekyll, and take notes. But to write in a journal, I couldn't make that bridge. I couldn't. It was a difficult time for me. That was the beginning of the journey. And then you decided to write this book entitled A Promise Made, A Promise Kept. Why did you decide to write this book? When Judith passed away, hospice was a service available to us because she was in, it was an end-of-life care. So when I went to a counseling session for grief, my expectation was that there would be other husbands in the room. And that was not the case. Now, understand, grief is a very large umbrella. And hospice fulfills a wonderful service in being able to guide people at that stage of someone's life. But not having another man in the room was disheartening because there was no one that I could feel camaraderie with on the emotional level that a husband feels with the loss of a wife and a spouse. So I accepted and appreciated all of the gifts they gave me in terms of guidance and support. Because there were no husbands there, I did not continue with my counseling. And that was the impetus for the book. Because I felt that as men, we're stoic, we, we're emotionless, we're expressions of patriarchal imprinting growing up. 
and we are close mouthed. We keep everything tight to the chest. And all of that was true with me, which made it difficult for me to make that transition when we started the journaling, because it was hard to get from that position and that frame of mind to be free enough to express your emotions. So that was a hard lesson. Uh, it got better as time went on, but that was the purpose and the reason for having written a book in the first place. Now, understand that that book was an expression of emotion that was unvetted, uncalmed. The edges were so rough. I mean, I'm not a writer. And to bring out personal feelings like that, it was extremely difficult. So, but the purpose was for other husbands. I felt that, you know, if I can recognize the fact that I can't do this, how are other husbands and spouses who are in the same position, they must be feeling the same thing. Yeah. And Frank, in your opinion, what are some reasons why men, including husbands, may be less likely to seek professional help when grieving? It has to be a, maybe about masculinity. If you're an alcoholic and you hit bottom, as they call it, at that particular point in time, an aha moment comes to you. The light bulb goes off. You get a sense of finality of your existence. You get a little lit, a little view. And that can wake you up. And I think that as a husband, the death of my wife was a wake-up call. But at the same time, because I didn't know how to handle that, I, I was ill-equipped. I had one foot in the world that I was accustomed to and grown up in and was, I used the word imprinted by, because influence is always an accepted choice. You can either be influenced or you can not. But when you're growing up, there is no choice. You're, I grew up in a family business. Frank, open the restaurant. Frank, do the dishes. My brother and I, the both of us, went through the same training. So we had that. And I think that other people, other men, other husbands have felt that and found it to be intimidating and holding themselves back from even seeking help because they said, no, I'll be fine. It's like having a chest cold and someone saying to you, you know, you really need to get checked by the doctor. And they go, nah, 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 I'm fine. And then they end up with pneumonia. Exactly. So that's the kind of situation. So if you if you come to that point of realization that you need to go and get help, mm -hmm. you need to get help. Don't be pig-headed. You need to you need, you need to surrender. You need to allow yourself the opportunity to be bolstered, to be uplifted, to be have an arm on your shoulder 
a hand on your head, like Nona, you know, you know one of these, you know? The, the expression of love and acceptance are things that men have a difficult time with. Women? Are you kidding? Chatty Cathy's. You know, the heart has doesn't even have a keyhole in it. They just go. And all of their buddies, all, you know, <laughs> their comrades, they have no issues with expressing emotion. Yes. For women, I believe it's easier to express feelings, emotions. Frank, what does habits stand for and how does it help deal with grief? Habits. You know, that was an interesting word. That, that's a recent, um, a recent aha moment. I was given an opportunity to write a chapter in an anthology about habits. And it's coming out pretty soon. Uh, it's called The Habit Code. So I've, I'm writing about habit, and then I'm thinking about it, and I'm saying to myself, habit is a negative thought. Habit, when you think of habit, you think of something that's not good. You have a habit of drinking. You have a habit of smoking. You have a habit of over-exercising. You have a habit of being aggressive. You have a habit of not being a nice person. So they have a connotation or negative content to it. And I thought about that. And I said, wait a minute. So if habit's something that you want to break, not all the time, but in the dictionary, it kind of says something that you want to change. So I started to think in terms of my goals in reaching out with the book and writing the chapter and how changing your attitude about grief, you can move forward with it, with exception, with courage, with purpose. So habit became a healthy attitude <laughs> that changes behavior and has the gift to initiate thoughtfulness. Habit. Once I, I came up with that acronym, I sat back and went, holy crap, you just you just nailed what's so important for a husband or a spouse or anyone who is going through the grief process. Because you hear a lot, you need to get over your grief. And that's not, that's a myth. You don't get over it. And it, 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 if anything, it changes. And that's the only element that's consistent about grief, is that you can expect it to change. But you can move forward with it. You can embrace the gift of the grief. And that, embracing that, is a wonderful thing because you do this. First of all, you acknowledge the fact that you're going through grief and you've had loss. 
then you change your expectations about your grief and your loss. So it doesn't define you. It isn't who you are. When you surrender, like I mentioned before, you let go. You embrace. You allow someone in. A friend, a family member, but not a whole bunch of people. One person. One person that you can count on. One person who is willing to look at you and say, hey, you know, you're, you got a, you got a thing over here. Where no one, you'd be walking down the street and that thing would still be there. Nobody would say anything to you. Mm. That one special person. And in surrendering, there's acceptance and appreciation. Then you get into showing blame the back door. Blame and shame are connotations of negativity and depressed emotion what I call emotional disquiet because our brains move a mile a minute. Shoot miles, thousands of miles a minute. But being able to quantify the things that are, are going on, recognize them, accept them, embrace them, allow them. You're not giving it power but you're putting it where it belongs, out the back door, because it's what we were imprinted, how we were grown up. All the negativities that we have been exposed to from childhood, 70% from childhood. After the age of four, our level of creativity and acceptance of our environment from an open, wow, aha, it's smaller, 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 till it's gone. And then we're 80 to 90% negatively driven. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Jumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. <laughs> The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. I can't do that. I can't do this. I don't feel well. I'm sick. I'm not, I can't afford this. These are all expressions of emotional and lack. A lack of self yourself. So you turn that around. Get it out of your life. Change your vocabulary. 
change the words you use to describe yourself, to describe what you're doing. How are you today? I've used the word excellent on many occasions because I'm uplifted. I'm very happy. I'm very assured and I enjoy life. How are you today? So we are terrible. I have the worst hair day you could ever imagine. <laughs> you know, and th that is what we have to thrive in. Television, we get it from radio, we get it from print, we get it from kids, the internet. There's no place where there's strong positivity that has purpose. And that's the whole reason for the book. So basically, we have to change the habits of thinking negatively, watching negative things, and listening to negative things. There are so many already, so many tragedies on a daily basis. We don't need to be listening to it all the time. And what lessons did you learn from your wife's gift of pause and profound listening? And how <laughs> have you incorporated these principles into your own life and relationships? Judith was never short for words. But she was an outstanding listener. She would sit as if she had someone had crazy glued her lips and just listen with her eyes. Of course, she's listening with her ears, but all of the attention and all of the expectation and reinforcement of what a person may be saying, she was expressing with her eyes. She taught me that because I was a very quick, emotional individual. I could be a volcano in an instant. I say that only because I was quick to emotion. I'm half Greek, half Italian. How can I not be quick to emotion? She was all Italian. But she just sit there. It was like, you know, a calm and I'm the storm and she's the calm and she's there to, you know, spread my clouds apart so that the storm would just dissipate and go away. And over time, she taught me to sit quietly and to listen and to take pause. And I, that was another element that, that I worked into some of my writing because I had a, an interview for a magazine online and they said, if you had to create a movement, what would that movement be? I said the pause movement, because if you pause, you have to think. You have to use what we call forethought. Formulate an answer, formulate a comment, and that takes time. We don't, we don't usually even think in terms of time. 
Do you know what the, the difference in time from a comment that someone makes in our culture presently is one second? I, I just recently read this, like two days ago. Uh, in Japan, in between comment, 8.5 seconds. That means now I'm going to say something else. They think more. Yes. In, yes. in 2000, it was over 12 seconds. Where's the time going? We're so caught up in this, you know, when they, like the little engine that could kind of thing with these little hamsters on the wheel and we're just going like crazy. But the important factor is when you pause and you allow forethought, your response is not reactive, which is very primal. It's sympathetic nervous system, fight or flight, something that is in our DNA, to response. Because response means you've taken the comment to thought. You've put forethought behind what you're going to contribute. And it's a response. And that slows you down. So think in terms of pause. Put commas anywhere in your writing. Who cares? Doesn't matter. You could be breaking all the English rules in the world. But when you read it and you recognize that you have a comma, you will pause. And that pause gives the reader and the listener an opportunity to assimilate, absorb, and accept. Very well explained, Frank. And I'm curious to know why your book is entitled A Promise Made, A Promise Kept. It has something about your trip to Bermuda's? Yes, my end-of-life uh, lists, advocate lists, things that someone would write down what they wanted after they pass, happen after they pass. On that was... Judith had a list. <laughs> she had a list. And I had my promises that I had to keep. Um, the sale to Bermuda became a promise because it was, uh, we loved sailing so much. We were refurbishing a, a, a very old sailboat. And we wanted to say thank you by giving something back to the Dalton Clinic by raising money for breast cancer awareness. But at the, that was the second thing. The first thing was to provide sailing for patients. And that didn't work out because Judith's legal experience created the snafu that there may be some liability issues there. So we never bothered to do that. I always had my eyes on the ocean. And she wanted to take a cruise to Bermuda. It was part of her list. And I said, no, 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 I don't do cruises. And I mean, if I'm going to get on a cruise, I'm going to walk up to the wheelhouse and tell the captain to move over because I want to steer the boat. And she laughed. And uh, 
I understand, and, and I understand that, you know, as much as we love sailing, you sail the Bermuda, and I'll take the cruise ship to Bermuda, and we'll meet you. Okay, that's a deal, but that never happened. No, that didn't come to fruition. So I took it upon myself to challenge myself in respect of my wife, strength and dignity and how she handled herself through this disease to raise the funds for breast cancer awareness and to sail to Bermuda solo. Well, took me a half a year. I finally found a boat after, you know, in 2005. It took me six months to get it prepared and ready. I left Rhode Island solo, sailed to Virginia, I had some what I called in the book fits and starts. Little, you know, monkeys in the wrench kind of things that happened on the way. Turn around and go back. Go leave again, turn around and go back. And so eventually I got to Virginia. And uh, my first attempt to get to Bermuda directly from Virginia was not the best. I got hit with a a very unexpected storm front, and it should the Coast Guard should have found me dead. The boat had a tremendous amount of damage. Things snapped, lines snapped like sewing thread. You know, I had a lifeline. Uh, the boom was flailing. The mainsail got ripped and destroyed, and ended up over the side of the boat. A lot of things broke. It took me all night to get back to. Virginia. But after that beating, I had literally stuck my tail between my legs and I wasn't going to attempt to sail the Bermuda. And a very dear friend reminded me of my promise. <laughs> Judith had passed away in 2004. I began the process of making the sail in 2005 and was able to complete it in 2007. So a lot of time went by. A lot of time. Um, in that process, I was uh, writing the book and realized that it wasn't going to go anywhere. It was so morose because I was literally pouring all of my anger and frustrations and despair into, into the story uh, in my journal. And I was taking a journal and putting it in the book. So <laughs> how depressing is that? Yeah. So I, what I call deep storage, I just stuck it away and forgot about it. I made the sale to Bermuda. That was enough for me. I still had other things on her list. It took me quite a while to finally complete, but I did do it. But then in 2019, someone, as I say, put a blowtorch on me uh, and got me to write. And they said that I should be writing about the uplifting aspect of your story, which was the sale to Bermuda. And that became my first book called The Best Ships. And that was released a year before this one. Mm -hmm. Uh, but it was only the back end. 
And I felt that the story, the backstory for the purpose of the sale needed to be told. And hence, a promise made, a promise kept, became a reality. Mm-hmm. Because I made a promise to my wife. And I had to keep it. You don't not keep promises. Sorry. It's just not in my genetic makeup. You make a promise, I keep it. Yeah, it's important. And Frank, what message do you hope readers will take away from your book? And what advice would you give to others who may be dealing with the loss of a loved one or are struggling with their own emotional pain? I would say anyone struggling with grief can move forward with journaling, using journaling as a a specific technique because as cathartic it could be for some people, it could be terror for others. Beginning for me, it was a terror. But they can move forward in the acceptance of their grief through journaling, through meditation, prayer, thinking in terms of mindfulness for themselves, proper nutrition, at least change it for the better. Because when you're in the grief process, if you're a sugar freak, it would be Twinkies and Hostess cupcakes and pizza, you know, whatever junk food that you could think of becomes main diet because it's, you know, it's the cathartic intake. Yeah. You know, it, it pleases us, it calms us. The sugar, it's like sugar is like cocaine. We do have a, a this place in the brain that <laughs> it's all about uh, satisfaction, and, and that gets stimulated by sugar, chocolate, ice cream. Uh, yes, yes, all those happy foods. <laughs> but that's a but gentle exercise. Trying to minimize the negative words, the negative ego that's expressed, and change that to something that's positive. Instead of I can't, change it to I can, I will, I'm able, you have the capacity. But sometimes, all of that negative influence is more powerful. You know, so don't think in terms of lack. Think in terms of abundance. Think in terms of the wonderful opportunities and memories that you shared as a couple. Those are the things that you want to bring back because they'll bring laughter to your life. And laughed me. Hmm. (laughs) Uh, All right, so what have I consumed that was positive or negative today? (laughs) Did it feed my soul with good? What kind of, what are the level of calories that I've taken in from that? And then for dessert, 
I like it. Laugh, 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 laugh. That is my that is my snack. Daily snack is laughter because it's uplifting. It changes the chemistry in your brain and it gives you satisfaction and a feeling of well-being. It's uplifting. And that's what positive words are. Yes, change completely. Start laughing. Good morning and give a big smile for people. And it comes to you. It's not only about others. It's about you. No, it's a two-way street. It's a two-way street. If you have good thoughts out, then good thoughts come in. So if you see your friend and you say, not to say, how are you doing today? Because that opens up Pandora's box. To say, what good things have happened to you this morning? Okay. You know, has something nice happened? Did you see something beautiful? You know, the, those open up opportunities for Elevated enlightenedness, happy chemistry. Frank, where can our listeners find you and your book online? Um, it is listed on Amazon. You can get the link by going to my website, which is www.fjdwriter.com. Or you can go directly to Amazon. But if you go to Amazon directly, you'll need to put the subtitle in as well, because there are a lot of other books with the same title, A Promise Made or Promise Kept, which I didn't know when I, <laughs> when I, I didn't find that out until after I posted it on Amazon. And I went, where did all these books come from? Here I am thinking I had a unique title. Yeah, it was very unique. Okay. <laughs> but the subtitle is, a husband's journey through journaling to heal the loss of his spouse. Okay. So if you do that, or you Google my name, and you'll uh, get links to the book on Amazon as well. You can do that. Now, I do have an Instagram account, which is new. And to get to me, it's my name, Frank underscore J, my middle initial, underscore, and my last name, DeMaio. So Frank underscore J underscore DeMaio. And that's my Instagram account. All thanks to my daughter. Because I wouldn't have any idea how to do it. Yeah, they know better than us. No, yeah, very much so. And Frank, I uh, just want to tell you, thank you very much. First for writing this book. You're going you. to, to help many, many people. Thank you for spending this time in the RV, talking with us, sharing your knowledge, your sensibility, you. your emotions. And you will be featured in our magazine, The Relatable Voice. So our listeners will be able to see your book cover, to see your socials and you. And I hope you come back when you write a new book. Our doors are always open. I noticed, and the view is very pleasant. <laughs> well, that'll that'll be happening uh, later this year, actually. 
Um, what I'm working on now is specific to uh, the emotions of uh, prosperity, not in terms of money, because prosperity is, you can have prosperous emotions, you can have a prosperous life, a balanced life. But it's, it's based on that language that we mentioned earlier, the words, the positive words, the negative words, how they influence us, and the, the neurological changes that occur. So I'm happy that I will go back to Florida to give you a ride. Yeah, yeah. well, thank you. I appreciate the ride back. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Frank. Thank you, Lucia. It was a pleasure speaking with you. Likewise. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to subscribe so you'll be notified when the next one is posted. Please rate this podcast and share it with your friends. Thank you for listening and remember, relationships don't exist. Relating does. Until next time. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.